breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, back to Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always an honor to be with you, and thank you for joining me again this week. If you've listened before, if you're new, I think you're going to get a taste of what an American Muslim patriot who loves his country and loves his faith with some tough love believes about certain issues that uh, you may think should be more relevant but are ignored by the mainstream media. We need to have more courage, ladies and gentlemen, to address issues that are ignored. And for those people who are just sick and tired of following impeachment, which is getting abysmal ratings, by the way, Let's talk about jihad. Let's talk about hijab. Let's talk about Islamism, political Islam, Sharia, all these things that uh, need reform and where they fit into our strategy domestically and globally. On this program, in the short time we have together, you and I together can look at some of the main issues that uh, are too often ignored. And this week is no different. On February 1st, on February 1st, 2020, it is the eighth iteration of World Hijab Day. Yep, ladies and gentlemen, the Islamists, the political Islamists and the arms of the Muslim Brotherhood movement globally, the arms of the Wahhabi movement globally, the Diobandi Islamist movement of the Indo-Pakistani region and the Khomeinis globally came together and said, let's impose on the West a sense of a day of guilt in which we force them to believe that those women who wear hijab are just, for the vast majority, oppressed by the West, by those who don't wear it because they treat them poorly, because they're bigots. So we'll have a World Hijab Day. This was founded by Nazma Khan in 2013. And on February 1st each year in 140 countries, as Wikipedia says, Its stated purpose is to encourage women of all religious backgrounds to wear and experience the hijab. By the way, I reject even the term hijab, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Event organizers describe it as an opportunity for non-Muslim women to experience the hijab. What are they talking about hijab? They're talking about the head covering, the scarf, the headscarf. Hijab is the term the Islamists, the fundamentalists, the Neanderthals with beards and robes decided to call it as they forced this barrier, this partition, which is what hijab means in Arabic, the word hijab, that curtain that you put up between the men and women in a mosque in which you can't see the women in which if you go visit a mosque, the vast majority of them, women aren't even on the same floor. They're in the back, shadows of bodies praying And if they talk, they have to scream from behind the screen there and watch the sermon on a a, uh, monitor and listen with an audio feed. And that's because they're behind the hijab. Hijab doesn't mean head covering there. It means partition. It means barrier. This world hijab, this world barrier day, world partition day, Event organizers describe it as an opportunity for non-Muslim women to experience the hijab. 
but it's been criticized by freedom activists, by humanitarians. And we had a healthy debate repeatedly with a number of my friends, some reformers and others doing this work, some who think, well, we don't want to offend the orthodoxy of our faith who believe in head covering because that is a debatable topic. There are a number of these issues of gender separation, gender apartheid. Should women be able to lead prayers? Should men and women, when we when we go to mosque, be able to stand next to each other? Or should they... Should the women all be behind the men as they are in 90, I want to say 99% of mosques, probably maybe 98? Or should they be next to each other? Can a woman lead a prayer? And now we're cheering for reform when the Saudis let a woman drive a car. When the Saudis let a woman on a council in a small town nobody heard of in their peninsula. But the hijab day, make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, is about making the West feel guilty and is about an ethnocentricity, not about the West. An ethnocentricity in which the Islamist evangelists who are doing their da'wah, da'wah is the Arabic word for the spread, the evangelism of their political Islam into the West. Education is what it means, but it actually means proselytization of Islam. So they're doing their proselytization, and the posters encourage non-Muslim women to wear a hijab. And feel what it's like to wear it. And then as people target them and throw garbage at them because they're wearing the hijab, then they start then they start to understand what it feels like. Or from an Islamist perspective, it's trying to normalize the hijab so that Americans, most of whom they say 50 plus percent of the West has never even met a Muslim. So for those who haven't, they start to normalize it that Muslim being Muslim equals wearing a hijab if you're a woman. So listen, my my slight sarcasm, though most of it, this is actually quite serious, is not to minimize the fact that wearing a hijab is a choice. But that's what it's about. Is this is about a choice. It's not about imposition. The vast majority of places in the world where women wear hijab, they do so out of imposition, out of force. From Iran to Saudi Arabia to to uh, um, countries all over the world, even if they say they have a choice, where Muslim majorities exist and control, the tribal leaders, the imams, the sheikhs, create an environment in which they feel, women feel that they are Stepping outside their lane if they choose not to wear the hijab. Just ask any Muslim woman you know that decided to take off the hijab. What kind of pushback she had from her community when she took the bold step of taking off the hijab. 
And again, we need to stop calling it hijab. Hijab is the Arabic word for barrier, partition. When she decided to take off the barrier and the partition and begin to ask for equal rights, ask why a man doesn't wear a head cover, cover his hair, why is only women's hair sexually appealing in a way that creates an environment in which men have to act uh, as animals on their sexual desire so women have to cover their hair. Esra Nomani, one of our co-founders of our Muslim reform movement and her colleague Hala Arafa wrote a piece in the Washington Post 2015 titled, As Muslim Women, We Actually Ask You Not to Wear the Hijab in the Name of Interfaith Solidarity. They ask that the event of World Hijab Day spreads the misleading interpretation that the head covering is always worn voluntarily and that the hijab purely means headscarf. Majid Nawaz, the founder of Quilliam Foundation and also an organization with people like Usama Hassan, who are part of our Muslim reform movement, said that it should not be World Hijab Day, but Hijab as a choice day. And again, I agree with this, with these contrarian opinions that the mainstream media ignores, by the way. In last year, Yasmin Muhammad, a former Muslim, started a humanitarian campaign called No Hijab Day to celebrate the women who have defied social censure and state to remove the hijab. And you know what's amazing to me is if you look this week now on Twitter, on social media, that's where the real debate is happening. That's where the real battle is. Most of the interfaith organizations, ladies and gentlemen, are bending, are tripping over themselves to show their solidarity, solidarity with World Hijab Day. And again, I've said this many times on this program, the Islamist leaders from Tariq Ramadan, who, by the way, the Me Too movement seems to have forgotten about, but was in prison for 13, 14 months on charges of multiple episodes and allegations of rape and sexual abuse of vulnerable women who were his students. But from Tariq Ramadan in Sweden and Europe and London to imams at the Islamic Society of North America and America to Canada's uh, Islamists, Europe's Islamists, they constantly talk about freedom in the West and the need to express that freedom through being able to wear the hijab. That's fine. I've defended Muslim women's rights to wear the hijab against movements in France, for example, with their laicite policies. That is not just about Muslims, but trying to prevent Jews from wearing their their kippahs, their yarmulkes, from trying to prevent Christians from wearing the crosses around their neck. And their laicite policies are actually about Pressing religious expression, personal expression, publicly. Free society should have no 
no room for preventing the personal expression of religion publicly, especially through dress and speech and assembly. So I am not, and as I said on Twitter this week, listen, my, I, have, I have some of the most loved ones in my life from my mother on wear a hijab or a religious headscarf. That's the best term, an Islamic religious headscarf. It's not a hijab because they don't feel they have a partition or a barrier between the people in their lives that puts them in the back of the conversation or the back of the room. But that's why the term hijab came to be, was to push that concept that that women that wear it have to wear it because you can't allow mixing of men and women. There has to be a partition, a barrier. And that flag represents that. That's the other issue of the hijab, is that it's not just a barrier partition to separate and create gender apartheid, which is its number one problem, but number two, it is a symbol. It is a symbol of their Islamicity. Their faith is not about the core, and this is not people wear hijab, but the movement for hijab. The movement for hijab became a political collectivist movement where it became a flag. And the perfect example is to compare. And the West feeds into this. America feeds into this. We had two Olympians, two women Muslim Olympians on the Summer Olympics team in 2016 one was a track race star that wore shorts and regular uniform did not wear her faith on her sleeve won a gold and a silver I believe and nobody knows her name she wasn't in the running for holding the torch where she almost had it instead of Michael Phelps? No. Ibtihaj Muhammad, the fencer who wears the hijab as her flag, as her American flag was her hijab. And she fulfilled all the dreams of American uh, 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 self-guilt that somehow we can appease, we can mollify and mitigate our guilt by having her wear walk the torch out and then reason prevailed and Michael Phelps carried the torch but she did interview after interview where it was all about how bigoted Muslims how how bigoted Americans are in their attitudes about Muslims that wear hijab and may look different But Dalia Muhammad, the track racer, far more successful at these Olympics, but doesn't wear the hijab, does not have an Islamic flag around her head, or otherwise, was ignored because it wasn't something that looked Muslim. And I'll remind you of Speaker Pelosi who whispered into the microphone behind 
when Andre Carson and Keith Ellison were talking about preventing the Patriot Act impositions upon Muslims in which he said, tell them you're Muslim, tell them you're Muslim, tell them you're Muslim. Because for the left, it's all about identity politics and the hijab fulfills all of that. Anyone who's against it must be a bigot. Anyone who's against it must be an Islamophobe. It's a symbol of these are the Muslims. They look different and we can help them. We will be the party to protect the minority. And what it does is it actually then marginalizes the real complaints of some people that Muslims that might be oppressed and treated poorly because of the way they look, because being a Muslim or practicing the faith of Islam is not a race. But it happens that many Muslims are of minority communities, either from uh, India, from uh, Pakistan, from Africa, from all over the world. But there are also many Caucasian Muslims. And being Muslim is not a race. But wearing a hijab makes it appear that you look different. In fact, they have a name for them. It's called hijabis. So let's translate the word hijabi. It's felt to be a, a, a nice term by most Muslim communities. That, oh, we love our hijabis. The, the ladies that choose to wear the hijab. So imagine it was called, we love our partitioners. We love our apartheiders. Now we can have a theological debate about the Islamic authenticity, the Islamic need, requirement, religious opinion, fatwa, ruling about whether you wear a hijab or not. And there will be debate. You can find scholars, imams, the majority of them today in the Islamic establishment will tell you that it's a mandate. And there are some minority opinions, which I agree with, by the way, that say that, yes, Islam teaches modesty in dress. And just like other major faiths, teaches against, obviously, nudity and teaches against significant significantly revealing dress and that would include conservative dress whether you're talking sleeves and um, no mini skirts things like that that's something you'll see in Christianity Judaism and many of the major faiths and modest dress now many would extend that to include the covering of the hair you see that in Orthodox Judaism you see it with Christian nuns and others in their habit but again that's not mainstream necessarily a majority opinion in their faith but in the islamic establishment it's become a majority opinion in the muslim community of practicing muslim women i would tell you that globally it's a minority now the percent of women that believe in wearing a religious headscarf has increased significantly because of the growing movement of islamic fundamentalism and orthodoxy and the fuel behind petro-Islam. My parents would tell you that, yes, Syria has been a dictatorship for over 50 years, but the rise of the percent of women wearing hijab because of the influx of Iranian money 
and influence has been exponential in Syria over the past 50 years, and this is from reports of family, not direct visiting on my part. But this is the story we hear from anyone who travels there and comes back. So along with oppression, totalitarianism, tyranny, political Islam, theocracy, comes the imposition of the quote-unquote hijab, the partition, the barrier. But theologically, we can have that debate. There are those who believe even theologically, it's not just simply being more liberal, not wearing it. There are alternative interpretations where you can be a quite conservative Muslim and believe that it is not a requirement for women to wear a head cover. That that was simply something that was referenced about the prophet's wives and not about a requirement for all women. And that that requirement is unique to the prophet's wives because of the pressure, security threat, and other things that existed for his family. But we can have that debate. That's not what World Hijab Day is about. World Hijab Day is an attempt, and and as I was saying when we were talking about the scholars and the Islamist leaders in the West, they will always talk about the right to wear the hijab. And stand against the French government laissez-faire policy saying they must allow us to wear the hijab or they are anti-Islam and Islamophobic. They're anti-religion. It's not just about Islam, but they want to make it about Islam because anything to unite their movement of all Muslims under one flag to make it about Islam as an ideology and as a political movement, not about just religious freedom. And the hijab then becomes a metaphor not only for their collectivization of Muslims, but as a flag. And that's why this, what saddens me, you see the interviews with Ibtihaj Muhammad back when she was in the Olympics, and her entire identity seemed to revolve around proclaiming her freedom through her hijab. And I find that as a major contradiction as women now are trying to proclaim their liberation from the hijab, as some and many reformers are trying to articulate. From the hijab. Because it is a weapon, it is an instrument, it is a symbol of what the theocracies force upon women. And I have to tell you, one of the speeches that just burns my gourd, as they say, is the speech that's all over the internet from Jamal Abdel Nasser, one of the most tyrannical, fascistic racists that existed in Arab dictators in history, was this probably one of the founding fathers of sort of the national socialist Arabist parties in the Middle East Yes, there was an attempt between Egypt and Syria to form a united party, and the Syrian part broke off and formed the Ba'athists, ultimately, that were the Nazis of Syria. And Jamal Abdel Nasser's NDP, or whatever party he was, were the Nazis of Egypt. But, and I say but, I hate adding a but as if I'm excusing them, they were secular. 
What do you mean by secular? Secular meaning they were not a religious party. So he has a speech that is pulled out all over the internet in which for four or five minutes he talks about why the hijab, why the head cover, if he's not in power, if his party doesn't win, that Egypt will take a step backwards and will be all about forcing religious expression and that women will be in the back wearing the hijab. So some of the words of what he's saying are true. But no different than Assad slaughtering his people and saying, well, if I leave, you'll get ISIS as he commits a genocide. Jamal Abdel Nasser was a similar bargain for the Egyptian people through his radical, militant Egyptianism or Arabism, pan-Arabism that was his ideology. But one of the reasons the Islamists are winning the argument about hijab against all the thousands of free-thinking women that are against it is because they paint those who are against it as being the Jamal Abdel Nasser's, the Bashar Assad's of the world. Now, Bashar Assad's has, is different than Jamal because Nasser was openly, proudly secular. Assad was, his father was, but now they're sort of abandoning some of that because they're in bed with the Khomeinists in Syria, as Assad represents internally in his family, the Alawites, which is a heterodox sect of the Shia. So because of sectarian issues and otherwise, he may claim to run a secular state in Syria, but the depth of penetration of Khomeinism into the practice and and fealties of their government has made them into a quasi-theocracy also. But at the end of the day, they're still a secular fascist state because of the Ba'ath ruling rules. But one of the reasons secular liberalism hasn't taken hold is because the Islamists do wonders in painting secularism as so anti-Islam that it's tyrannical and they love to mix between the dictators of the Middle East who are not Islamists with Western free liberal democracies like America, France, England, and Israel. Messiah Alinejad, a free-thinking, courageous, brave woman for, who's part of the Iranian women's resistance, has written quite a bit. She was on some national media this last month and I've talked to you about her before. And she said this week, As some celebrate world hijab, they let's also recall that in Iran, women are jailed for wanting to be hashtag free from hijab. These video clips from inside Iran, she showed women getting beaten because they decided to take off the hijab. They started a few years ago with White Wednesdays. The White Wednesdays was a huge movement of ha- of a hashtag white wednesdays of those women who decided to take off hijab publicly 
and suffer as a result as dissidents. Unbelievable bravery. Then they started walking unveiled. Again, taking off the veil as they walked through public sectors in Iran. Afterwards, she said, women in Iran got so brave that they started challenging their harassers through hashtag my camera is my weapon campaign, videotaping what men would do to them when they decided to take off the hijab. So she said, as some celebrate World Hijab Day, let's also remember that six women in Iran have been sentenced to 109 years in prison for not wanting to wear hijab. And that was just this last month. Her own brother is jailed due to her activities against compulsory hijab. She called on all feminists worldwide to pay attention to Iranian women's activism against compulsory hijab. Defending the right not to wear hijab is not Islamophobia. So we should reject the use of the term hijab. We know what it means, but free from hijab. Then there's this debate we had, as I mentioned to you, I was going to talk about now. Is free from hijab a movement that should offend Muslim reformers that love their faith because we are being free from a central part of the faith? Do you equate saying free from hijab to free from Islam? (laughs) Absolutely not. First of all, this is not against the garment. The choice. It should be a choice. But secondly, hijab is an ideology. If you decide you want to personally wear something, yes, they may not be wanting to impose it, but you demonstrate that you have a certain ideology. And that ideology is a belief that God tells you to wear the the head cover. Now call it a head cover and be active in every part equally in life, then that's fine. I will defend your right to wear that to the death. But call it a head cover and then say that women who don't wear it should be at the back, not allowed entry to mosques, not allowed entry into public environments. That only you have the right to have a day for that in which other people who don't even recognize it should be forced or should somehow be publicly shamed into wearing it because that's how they prove that they love your freedoms is by wearing a hijab? While in fact, you ignore by this movement the reason the free from hijab day is a much more important hashtag today. And this is the debate reformers need to have. It's because of the proportionality. How many women truly in the world, you do an analysis, just numbers, just guess. How many Muslim women in the West want to wear hijab but don't because of fear of retribution or if they wear it can actually say that they've experienced discrimination? There's absolutely been palpable amounts. Yes, there has been. No one can deny that. The stories exist. I've known people in my own family that have told me about stories of women that wear hijab that were treated sideways at stores or whatever it might be. 
but that can often be treatment, etc. Physical abuse, I've never heard of stories about that. Ripping off of the hijab, the last two stories I heard of actually ended up being made up and propagated by the likes of CARE in Canada, in New York, and elsewhere, and they turned out the one in New York City was a woman that ended up being arrested by the New York police because they found out she made up the story because she had a a tiff with her parents about where she was that night. Now, they say these are aberrations, but the bottom line is, is all I'm telling you is this is about proportionality. All of the stories that get all of the bandwidth of media attention, you can add up to a certain number, and you put that number of total Muslim women on the denominator, And again, Muslim women all over the world with the numerator being the number of women oppressed or may choose not to wear the hijab because of fear of oppression, retribution, or bigotry. Then you do another numerator and denominator with the denominator being women in Muslim-majority countries and then the ones that choose not to wear the hijab and how they're abused, tortured, and imprisoned. And then you, you compare the punishment and the, the crimes against humanity done to them. And please tell me which one is more proportional. I would tell you that it's a nine, it's a 10 to one ratio. At best, if not 20 to one, 30 to one. Where almost every woman in Iran that wants to wear her hair normally and decide what she does or does not wear feels oppressed. So we're talking a country of 80 million people. How about in Pakistan? No laws about hijab there fully, but yet the tribal culture prevents them. How about Muslim women in America who want to go to mosque and yet end up having to go to mosques where they're in the back, where they have to wear the hijab to get in, they can't go to functions without wearing the hijab, etc. Do they have the choice to go to, are there mosques for them where they can't? And the community, again, is not diverse enough. It's a monolith. How about Saudi Arabia? Syria? On and on. So the proportionality problem is my issue is that hijab is easily, women's treatments is easily in the top two, three issues with jihad and free speech being the other ones. And there's no greater symbol. The, the, the head cover is not only about suffocating women with it, but separating them out. And also it has a nationalistic fervor to it because it creates the sense of a flag. You have to wear this garment, this garment. I saw the other day, this week was a story, and I'm going to end on this now, a story about the Iranian company that makes thousands of, wait for it, wait for it, thousands of American flags. And Israeli flags in Tehran. You ask, what? Are you kidding me? What's that for? What do you think? Think about it. When you see the demonstrations and the videos 
of them burning the American flag or the Israeli flag, of them putting it on the floor and in front of bathrooms or in front of walkways. And then the latest videos that showed them most Iranian citizens walking around it because they wanted to respect it, but the government sending people to stomp on it and trying to get people in fervor against it with chance of death to America and death to Israel. Where are they going to get those flags from? Will they make it? That's what their companies are, are doing. The governmental companies, not the Iranian citizens. As Daniel Pipes wrote in his tweet, uh, what better symbol do you want of the idiocy of the Islamist theocrats? Hijab similarly has this sort of unifying mentality of a, of a, of a common garment, common uniform for the Islamists, for their nationalistic Islamo-nationalism, if you will. And that's why the way to fight that separation, the need for separation of mosque and state and make it into a purely spiritual choice is to end the concept of the Islamic state, to end Islamo-nationalism, to head towards reform. And that's so important. And I think the, the power of some of those hashtag movements from White Wednesdays to, to Free From Hijab Day, that's what we should celebrate on February 1 this week. Free from Hijab Day. That's what we should celebrate. And this is not to denigrate, let me say it again, make no mistake, this is not to denigrate the freedom of people who choose to wear it. But we cannot say that because 95% of the oppression of women is done through the hijab, that those 2 or 3% of women that come to the West that feel bad because they, the idiocy of some folks that want to ridicule them about it, that that somehow now becomes the dominant narrative. It doesn't. And by the way, where is the movement of women who love wearing hijab to go to the streets to protect and stand around those who choose not to? Wouldn't that be a great image? Have the Orthodox women who choose to wear the hijab stand with and go to jail with women who are oppressed for not wearing it. Where's that image? Where's that movement? So they're anesthetized too. And yet we're supposed to feel bad if somehow free from hijab is interpreted as anti-hijab or anti-head cover. Because hijab by itself, the word itself is a pejorative as a partition or barrier. Just like Islamophobia, the term Islamophobia, I do not use. It's contrived by the Islamists, just like the word hijab is contrived. Islamophobia is contrived so that you feel bad about criticizing Islam. Not just about anti-Muslim bigotry, but about criticizing Islam, so they call it Islamophobia. And criticizing the head covering is not bigotry, nor is it Islamophobia. So much to talk about. Ask your neighbors, ask your friends about Free From Hijab Day. Reject World Hijab Day and call it Freedom of Religion Day. Call it Freedom of Choice Day. 
because most most muslim women even in the west if they wear the hijab sometimes are forced by their loved ones to do so it is not about freedom it is not a symbol of freedom or religious expression at all it is a symbol of theocratic tyranny for the most part and this message is coming to you from an american muslim who loves the right for Muslims to express their religion, to express their personal choices in what they wear and what they do and what they say. But that cannot be done by the Islamists only as a collectivist theocratic interpretation alone. We are not monolithic. And the biggest problem right now globally, if we're going to defeat radical Islam, is to defeat Islamism and political Islam and all that it does on its name. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Spread the word about reform, about this podcast. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and on Reform This Radio on Twitter. Tell your friends about the podcast. A lot to learn here. A lot to share together. Your humble American patriot, Muslim. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll see you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.